don't know if you've been um, uh, taking Danny's advice and actually reading Nehemiah, Nehemiah at home, but if you did and you read uh, chapters 2, 3 and 4, then congratulations, you've done remarkably well. Um, as we were singing just about God's grace and his mercy and his love, um, I, I had a flashback to a memory um, and that was um, quite a long time ago. I was chatting to a 15-year-old um, kid and we were at a coffee shop, it was an outreach and we'd been praying for this kid because he would come in um, and he was very, very shy. He, he didn't really want to talk but he was very, very good at pool and he would walk in, he'd give me the nod and we would play a game. And if I beat him, he would get a little bit grumpy and he would leave and we wouldn't see him for the night. And if he beat me, um, he would rack him up again um, and would play another game. And you, we would basically play until I won a game. Sometimes that was the first game, sometimes that was the tenth game. Um, and, but as soon as I'd won a game, he would leave. And, and we'd been praying for him. And, then, and I was just praying for an opportunity to even just to talk to him because he didn't want to talk. Um, and finally it happened. I've been playing pool, for, you know, consistently over two or three years, um, every summer with this boy. And eventually I, I shared the good news about Jesus with him. And he just looked at me and he goes, why on earth would somebody want to die for me? And that was almost the first words I'd ever heard from him. And God's love for this kid um, just overwhelmed me as that conduit. And um, I started tearing up. He started tearing up and I told him that God loves him more than even I could, even he could, anyone could imagine. Um, and there's a risk with today's sermon because we all walk in with a backpack. Some of us have literally got backpacks because there's nappies and stuff in them. Others, our metaphorical backpacks are pretty full. They're pretty heavy. We've got burdens, we've got stresses, we've got worries. And the last thing I want to do is put more bricks or boulders or whatever into that backpack and for you to walk out with a heavier burden. Um, and there's a risk because today's passage is about building things, about doing things, about being active and being involved. But we need to remember that the foundation is that the debt has been paid and we're called to live in gratitude and service out of that, not try to earn that. So please keep that in mind. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you so much for your love and for your grace, for your forgiveness. Thank you that you do love us. And thank you that we've been able to pray about that, sing about that. And we're so thankful for you, for who you are. And as we open up your word, please reveal your truth to us so that we can be transformed and we can live lives that point others in your direction and glorify you. Amen. Okay, so two weeks ago, um, Danny began our series on Nehemiah and we looked at chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2. And we learnt that Nehemiah was concerned about the welfare of the remnant of God's people who had survived the exile and returned to Jerusalem. And this is what we're told. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Those who survive, he gets a report and it says this, those who survived the exile are back in the province uh, and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Um, and he is shattered when he hears this. We're told that he sat down and that he wept. And Nehemiah has great courage. Remember, he asks the king, Artaxerxes, for permission to travel to rebuild the city. And he's, not only is he given this verbal permission, but he's given a, a letter, which is basically a passport, so that he can show it to anyone he bumps into, saying he's allowed to be there. 
He's given um, access to timber from the forest so that he can begin the rebuild. And he's also given an armed escort for protection. What wonderful, tangible evidence of God's blessing that God was looking after him, that God was going to protect him. This is good news for Nehemiah. But there's a sting in the tail, or as Danny sang, da, 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 when, and that's the only thing I remember about his sermon. It's really unfortunate, isn't it? We've had Mother's Day since, and all I remember is him doing that. <laughs> and, uh, and some of you don't even remember that, and you're thinking, fire out, where was I two weeks ago? <laughs> Um, verse 10 of chapter 2 says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And that's where the first session finished. And so we begin in verse 11. And Nehemiah says these words, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So Nehemiah rested for three days. Well, of course he rested for three days. He travelled for four months. But then he goes out at night to have a look at the situation. Obviously the threats are real. Otherwise he'd go in the day when people can see him. There is opposition to their presence and to their work. Now, if you've read these verses and these chapters, they are very, very odd. Um, there's lots of strange place names. There's lots of very strange names. For example, they inspected the valley gate, the jackal wall, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the king's pool. Um, reading the Bible can be difficult. Um, interpreting it well and responsibly can be really really difficult. Um, keep in mind, this is an account of events two and a half thousand years ago. Um, it's not always read, easy to read, particularly sections, lengthy narratives like these. Very challenging to apply. Um, this is well and truly uh, after Jesus' birth, life, death and resurrection. And so we need to be careful. But it is God's word, isn't it? Um, and God's word is his word to us. It's timeless. So look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2. Nehemiah says, I moved on toward the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. There was not enough room for my mount to get through. He must have had a big horse. Now, if ever there's proof that God's word is timeless, it's these words right here. Men have been making lame excuses so that they can avoid going to Fountain Gate for thousands of years. <laughs> I can't go in. My horse is too fat. Timeless. And actually, coincidentally enough, um, the family and I are going to Fountain Gate after church today. And I'm preaching, obviously. Kerry, my wife, is doing kids' church today. Ryan, my eldest, is on the cameras today. So we all had to be here early. And I was all week, I was trying to scheme of a way. Surely, and we drive from almost Lee and Gaffer, so 45 minutes. Surely there's a way we can take two cars so that I can avoid going to Fountain Gate. 
And then I read this and I was, I don't even know what God's trying to tell me. <laughs> but I do digress. <laughs> there are three uh, main themes or, or parts of this narrative that I want to highlight um, today. First one, Nehemiah had a clear purpose and mission. Um, so the story goes on in verse 17. And Nehemiah says to the priests and the nobles and the officials who are with him, he says this, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Now remember, Nehemiah's already shown his courage. He's gone to the king and said, can you let me go? And that's happened. But how would these people respond to his plan? He's been very careful to move around at night. We've been told that there's opposition. But how are his people going to react? Well, we are told their wonderful response in verse 18. They just say, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. What a wonderful, encouraging response. If you've ever led a team and you've come up with an idea and your team has said, sounds good, let's do it, it's the best feeling. It's wonderful. And it was considered a good work because it was about protecting God's name, protecting them from their enemies, and also protecting their distinctiveness. That's why they wanted to rebuild the wall. So number one, Nehemiah had a clear purpose and a mission. And number two, there were opponents to the work, but there were also supporters as well. Um, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem mocked and ridiculed them and accused them of rebelling against the king. That wasn't true at all. It's completely false. It was a lie. They had the, the king's blessing. And Nehemiah's response is characteristically bold and full of faith. The God of heaven will give us success, it says in verse 20. We, are as, we as servants will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And so there's a giant list of supporters and opponents. And I'm not going to read through all the names. If we can have the next slide. Yep, there it is. You probably can't even see it. But there's a giant list of um, supporters and there are some opponents as well. And the list goes on. And the weird place names go on. And the strange names go on and on. But here's the thing. It'd be nice if life was just divided up into two neat categories. Goodies and baddies. You know, supporters and builders and opponents and wreckers. But we all know that life's not that simple. So if you keep reading the story, you'll see that some of these names are mentioned again. And you'll see that some of them, you're not really sure if they're supporters and builders or opponents and enemies. So if we go to the next one, the ones that are highlighted there were a bit sort of sketchy or questionable. Um, Eliashib, who was the high priest, um, was actually the grandson of one of Nehemiah's opponents. So does, does Nehemiah look at him and go, well, is he loyal to his family or is he loyal to me? 
and there were others who were related to Nehemiah's enemy, Tobiah. Um, there were the men of Tekoa who did really good work, but the nobles who were with them were slackers and actually refused to build, it says. They were lazy. And there's another um, with a reference um, to earlier in the Old Testament who had actually married a foreign wife, but obviously, which was against God's command, and he's repented and he's getting stuck in. So sometimes life's complicated. And when I look at myself, I know that sometimes I'm a builder, sometimes I'm keen to be involved in God's work, and other times, not so much. And then we go to chapter 4, and it says this, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. He's trash-talking their handiwork. But under Nehemiah's leadership, the people's response is prayer. Which leads us to this third theme, which is wise leadership. Under, under, under Nehemiah's leadership, the people prayed, it says in the start of verse 4, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. But that wasn't their only response. Again, under Nehemiah's leadership, they just got on with the job. Verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But the tit-for-tat continued and the enemies planned to attack Jerusalem and to stir trouble against it. And in response, the, the people are discouraged. But Nehemiah shows wisdom and good planning. And the people continued their work, but they were always alert. And you read that they rebuild the wall with one hand, but in the other hand, they're holding their weapons and they're ready. They prayed earnestly and they planned and they acted wisely in the face of these threats. Now, as I hinted at with my very silly fountain gate joke, applying passages of scripture like this responsibly is tricky. It'd be a brave, it'd be a brave Anthony, he said to my wife, Carrie, look, the Bible says that I shouldn't go to fountain gate today. <laughs> It'd be foolish. Um, Nehemiah being tasked by God to complete the good work of rebuilding the wall feeds into a pattern that you can find on almost every page of the Bible. And here's the point. God's in the business of partnering with people so that he might be known. God's in the business of partnering with people so that he might be known. What an extraordinary thought. Now, if I was God, I don't know if you've ever started a sentence like that, but if I was God, I would not choose humans to partner with. What a bizarre choice. But that's who he is. He wants to partner with us in his work. And so if you flick back through the pages of the Bible, you'll see that humanity was made in God's image to rule as his representatives. Abraham and Sarah were called so that they could be a blessing to the nations. The nation of Israel was redeemed so that they could be a light to the nations. David built the temple so that people could come from far and wide to worship God. 
And Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in the hope that Israel could again be that light to the nations. This is about God's kingdom. As Jesus taught us to pray, the story of the Bible is about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And he wants us to partake in that work. And so now we find ourselves confronted with the question, are we builders or are we wreckers? Because God loves it when we build things with him. That's why all those names are listed in today's passage. God loves builders. God loves it when we contribute. God loves it when we put up our hands and get on with his good work. Now, it's important that we remember that God doesn't actually need us to build his kingdom. It's his kingdom after all. But he really is in the habit of partnering with people as he does his work, which is amazing. God loves builders, and every time we do things in Jesus' name, in a way that reflects his loving service to others, every time someone proves their love for God by loving their neighbour, it's as if a little green shoot of God's kingdom is sprouting. Now think about all the things that you do in a week, in your family life, in your business or your work or your employment, how you spend your money, um, how you pray, what we do when we're at school if you're a student or if you work at a school like me, how we treat our neighbours, our marriages, our kids, our attitude when we um, play or have hobbies, our sport, um, our choice to turn up to small group even if we're a bit tired and we can't really be bothered. Um, our choices to love others, to send that encouraging text or to ask someone how they're going if you haven't seen them for a while. All of those um, things are opportunities to put the needs of others first and to worship God by loving them. And Nehemiah listed all of those names because God loves to partner with us and their contribution was valuable and celebrated. The kingdom of God is, is like a, a mustard seed, like me playing pool with that kid for 10 nights a summer, every summer for three years in the hope that I might have an opportunity to tell him about Jesus. God's kingdom's like a mustard seed or like a game of pool. It seems small and insignificant. But look at the result. Look at the result. Look what grows. Look what God can cause to flourish. God loves builders. But also we need to remember that opposition is real. Opposition is real in the church. It's real outside of the church. When I was at uni and I told my non-Christian friends that I was going to get married halfway through our last year, a guy came up to me and said, man, you must be a really like moral guy because you're a Christian and you're choosing to get married at 21. Now, if I was at uni and I was 21 and I announced that, I, I don't think I would have someone come up to me and say, that's really impressive. They would look at me very, very oddly. Um, don't we want God's name to be known and to be honoured? Does your heart break a little bit when you see the negative press about the church and about Christians? Um, opposition in the church and out of the church is, is real, but we need to be really wise. It would be easy for me to get up here and say, we need to build a big wall around our church, just like Nehemiah did, to protect it. No. No, no, no. 
the Old Testament looked forward to a time where there was a temple with no walls, with no barriers. Jesus overturned the tables because he didn't like it when people put barriers in between them and God. When we love others, when we seek his kingdom, when we love our neighbours, we to open up ourselves so that people might meet Jesus. When we think about enemies, it's important to remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6, just as he introduces the armour of God. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Opposition's real. I can be a builder, but I can be a wrecker too. And the good news is that Jesus knows this. That's why he had to die to pay that price that we can't. But he also rose again and he calls us to do sometimes the big things, but very, very often the little things that he will bless, that he will cause to grow and that he will cause to bear fruit for his glory and his kingdom. One final point of application, and that is on the importance of wise and godly leadership. In Nehemiah's day, every builder played their part. They're all listed, they're all valued, and God loves builders, and that's why they're named. But he also equips and uses leaders. And aren't we here at Community Church blessed with good and godly leaders? There are heaps of them. Some of them are paid, and some of them aren't. And there are leaders in all sorts of areas of church life. If you think about youth ministry and kids' church and worship leaders and service leaders and preachers and small group leaders and our elders and those wise friends who don't have a formal role, but those wise ones who we know we can go to, we can look up to, and we can seek, seek their wisdom and their counsel when we need it. And of course, there's our senior pastor, Danny. You didn't see this bit. <laughs> Like all of our leaders, he's not perfect, but in my time at this church, I've seen again and again that he is a builder. He wants to help us to be equipped to love God and our neighbours, and he's passionate about the good news of Jesus' love and his rule. And we should pray for our leaders, and we should listen to our leaders, and to the extent um, to which they point us in Jesus' direction... We should follow our leaders. We're blessed to have good and godly leaders here. We should seek to support them. God loves it when we build with him. And out of love and gratitude for who he is and what he's done, let's do this good work together. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you that those... Those big narratives in the Old Testament are just full of wisdom and guidance. They are your word to us. And as we read and learn about Nehemiah over the next few weeks, would you please um, equip us? And Jesus, we thank you that ultimately you're the one who builds your church and you call us to work with you, to partner with you. And because you died and because you rose again, we have a firm foundation of love and mercy and acceptance. So please give us um, the gratitude and the generosity that we need by your spirit so that we can love you and that we can love others. Amen.